So, Rachel. Yeah? Spock must travel in time to his childhood and keep his younger self from dying and being replaced by an Endorian on his ship. Whoa. What do you think you're going to get? Ooh, that sounds great. We've got some awful high stakes here. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing someone's going to go back in time to kill him just so they can have his job. That's cool. I know his teddy's in it, so I think it'll defend him and scare the Andorian or whoever off. How will Sarek and Amanda beat a little Spock? I'm guessing they won't be allowed to see Big Spock. He'll just observe them. Otherwise, that'd mess with the timeline. Mm -hmm. Amanda will be trying to answer little Spock's endless questions. And Sarek and Spock will be having their annual eyebrow raise. <laughs> I got the sense of Spock being there alone, but I guess Kirk and McCoy will have to be there helping. And McCoy will gain a new appreciation of what makes Spock Spock. Well, those are pretty good guesses. Let's find out what actually happens. Okay. <laughs> Watches Star Trek. Captain's Log, Stardate 5373.4. We are in orbit around the planet of the Time Vortex, the focus of all the timelines of our galaxy. Our mission is to assist a team of historians in the investigation of Federation history. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Leckie. And I'm Chris Leckie. And we are covering the second episode of the animated series, Yesteryear. And it's a good one. Spoiler. <laughs> I was so pleased when we were watching it. It was so interesting and fun and cool. And I just can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. Even if you haven't watched much of the animated series, maybe you'll have watched this one and know about it. It was written by DC Fontana, obviously. Yeah, she's a script editor and associate producer of the whole series. This is the only script that she wrote. Uh too bad. Well, we were discussing doing two episodes of the show, but this episode has so much going on for it and it's so good. Yeah. And there's also so much written about it. That, oh, yeah. That we figured we would take a full episode. It deserves the full treatment. It does. So it begins with the crew of the Enterprise back on the planet from City of the Edge of Forever. Standing in front of the gate is McCoy, a human woman named Gray. Is and she? <laughs> She's human-ish. Yeah. And there is this cool-looking bird alien guy named Alik Am. Yeah. And he's Aurelian. They are historians, and they work with the Federation. Maybe they're independent contractors, because hmm. they didn't have uniforms on. Yeah. Had a tricorder, though. And they are using the gate of the Guardian of Forever. Voiced by James Doohan. So somehow I didn't even get that Alik Am was the historian. <laughs> I was pretty confused. So they couldn't find somebody in the whole ship this time who was a history specialist or... I guess not. The Aurelians are particularly good at it, I guess. Maybe. Or they just look awesome. Well, they do look awesome. Yeah, I was so excited about all these cool alien aliens. Apparently he doesn't come back. Mm. Do we know anything about this woman in non-uniform wearing a hot pink jumpsuit and a helmet hairdo? Why is she there? Great. She's a historian. All right. It's a team of historians. Is she human? She's not from the Federation from uh... the look of it. We got 22 minutes. They can't give us all the backstories, can they? No. But I thought it was neat. It made it feel like there was more going on in the Star Trek universe. If they've got a gate to time, yeah. every historian in the galaxy is going to want to come check this thing out. Well, yeah. So it's a big deal. Historians from the future and the past. <laughs> people don't seem to come out of it. People seem to go into it and then come out of it. Hmm. Because it teleports people to other planets as well. That's wild, child. It feels like classic Star Trek that they're using the Guardian to record history being played back. They're just nosying. And sure, a history specialist seems relevant, but Kirk and Spock? 
Well, they are... Yeah, you're Interested. right. Interested. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't be doing any of that stuff. So the Guardian announces the return of Kirk, Spock, and historian Erickson. So there is a Federation historian one. there. Yeah. And they jump out of the gate. They were observing the dawn of the Orion civilization. When they get out, McCoy and Gray don't know who Spock is. Kirk mm. and Erickson do, but nobody else does. Oh, I'm interested. Yeah, they get things going fast. Like yeah. this is just in the first minute or two. And you're like, what? What's, what's going on here? Well, it's turning upside down. So they beam up to the Enterprise. And we get this. Captain, I was expecting it to be one of the historians with you. But a Vulcan? Explain yourself, Mr. Scott. Son? I don't know what's going on, but the first officer of this ship will be treated with respect. Captain, I assure you, no one has ever treated me otherwise. Mm. Who's this guy? He looks and sounds shifty. <laughs> He's responsible, I thought. <laughs> He's an Endorian officer named Thelen. The first officer. McCoy reminds Kirk that Thelen has been his first officer for the last five years. Kirk and Spock know something is wonky with time. Oh, but Kirk still knows who Spock is, so Spock's still intact. <laughs> My little heart couldn't take that as well. <laughs> But this is totally unrealistic. Kirk would go on a mission without his first officer? Yeah, true. This is an interesting thought that I've never had before about time travel specifically. What happened to the Kirk who went back in time that had Thelian as a first officer? Uh... So... Obviously, there's this whole world where Kirk met Thelian and they were working together for five years. Yeah. He went in the time portal. On a mission back in time. Where's he? Where's he gone? What happened to him? Yeah, uh, where is he? I don't know. Did they merge? Did they? Mm, did he ever exist? Well, he... he must have because all these people have memories of him. Oh, man, oh, man. And there's a whole timeline that exists with him, you know, doing stuff. For with, five years? For five years, so... Uh, yeah, if anybody's got any theories on this, I'd love to hear them. This episode is just getting started. We've got a mystery on our hands. I've got a mental block when it comes to time travel, though I can't seem to get it. So new patrons, listen back to our time travel bonus content if you would like to hear more of my mind being blown. <laughs> <laughs> they have a staff meeting and Erickson says that they did nothing that could have disrupted the timeline, especially in the way that it has been. Yeah, they were just back in time recording stuff. Also, they claim. Yeah, but... But what does that have to do with Orion? Because Bach is from Vulcan, and that's another part of the galaxy, so... Yeah, but they're both green. Well, yeah, Orion's are green, and then... Greenness. That's and the theme. Vulcans have green blood, so yeah. I guess... And, of course, everything is still the same, so how could time just affect one person? Yeah. It seems very odd. Time to call someone up on the view screen. <laughs> a really ashamed looking guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's up with that dude. Just anxious or something? I don't know. They report that no one named Spock ever served in Starfleet, but his father, Sarek, has been serving as an ambassador. They look into Sarek's family history and discover that he had a son called Spock who died at age seven. Amanda separated from Sarek and she later died in a shuttle accident. Spock looks sad, actually, mm. then confused feelings no. even with filmation <laughs> and even with spock <laughs> so spock kirk and thelian return to the surface of the planet and talk to alik am and gray about the situation they ask if anyone else has used the gate and they report only to check on vulcan history oh do you think that might have something to do with it do you thanks a lot golden bird and helmet lady <laughs> alik am tells them that spock died during his 
Coswan maturity test. Ooh, have you heard of that before? No. Oh, and never will again. Probably not. So Spock remembers this event and that he was saved by his adult cousin, Selick, when he was attacked by a wild animal. That was the only time that he ever saw Selick, his oh, cousin. That's dodgy, isn't it? Kirk is Chris Lackey fast at working it out. <laughs> Though it's a pretty big logical jump. Did the cousin look like you do now? Yes, he did. But this time... You were in Orion's past with us when the historians had the time vortex replay of Vulcan history. You couldn't be in two places at once, so you died as a boy. Huh? Does this make sense? Uh... It was adult Spock saving kid Spock? What? How? Uh, okay, this is complicated. I think I got a, a basic understanding of it, but there's some, there's some problems with it. Spock was in the time gate when they looked at Vulcan's past. Mm-hmm. So since he was in the time gate in Orion's ancient history, he couldn't be in the time gate in his own past at the same time. So the Guardian chose to take him out of Spock's past part and let him be in the Orion oldie times. I'm prepared to go along with that bit. But okay. why is the original way it was that adult he saved kid he? That's a whole other thing here. It's kind of a mess because it's mixing up a lot of time travel stuff together. There's this idea that time is fixed, a la the first Terminator movie, because John Connor sends Kyle Reese back in time to be his father. If he didn't do that, then he would never be born to send his father back in time. So it's Whoa. like it had everything had to happen to happen. There's no mm. altering time. Time exists as it does. That is something that they're kind of pointing at in this one. Somehow, Spock went back in time and saved himself. Obviously, he couldn't have gone back in time to save himself if he wasn't saved by himself. So we've got... Yeah, but what, how did that start? In one time travel theory, time is just as it is. So if you go back in time, you can never change anything because it's fixed. But how can he grow up to become the older version of himself to go back and save himself if he hasn't already been saved? But he has been saved. Because uh, uh, <laughs> he did save himself. How? But then we have this whole other timeline theory of divergent timelines. So you go back in time and you change things to alter the future, a la Back to the Future. So you go back, your parents never meet, you're never born. New history. This episode somehow mixes both of those together hmm. in a very strange way. And then this is confusing again to me because the Guardian alters something that has happened in the past already. Spock has been in the time gate before as well. Yeah. So if they went and looked at like, say, 1930s New York mm -hmm. and Spock was there, would he just be plucked out of that one as well? Because he can't be in the timeline twice. You know, sitting on the edge of forever. Yeah. And then that would make a whole other divergent timeline as well, which they don't really even talk about here. But then again, they don't look at 1930s. They only look at Vulcan. Oh, my goodness me. What a mess. It didn't feel like a mess at the time. Yeah. I still don't understand it. Thank you for trying, though. <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that this is a great episode. <laughs> it doesn't, no. This is just an excuse to get to the meat of the story yeah. of like what it's about. And it's not really that important at all. And I love, too, that this animated series, they're just throwing out the super complicated idea to mm. kind of get the story moving. It's like, okay, oh. here's this time travel theory. Boom. Here you go. Let's get on with the Let's, story. Yeah. So Kirk asked the Guardian if things are now fixed or if Spock can go back to baby Spock and save him again. And the Guardian says, sure, you know, whatever. That's cool. <laughs> Not bothered. Spock decides to save his mother and himself. So he has to go back and try to fix things. Before he leaves, he calls the Enterprise's costume department <laughs> to send him down some Vulcan clothes circa 8877 
Vulcan year. I love the wardrobe section. <laughs> They're so great, aren't they? they and are. he, of course, he wants it to be historically accurate so that he doesn't change anything or confuse anyone. Of course. But his memories about what happened are hazy and he's basing his memories on himself as a child. Yes. Because he as an adult hasn't done this yet. That's right. Or something. Yeah, that's it. That's okay. it exactly, yeah. The Andorian claims he isn't upset that this will mean Spock replaces him. Even though he's from a warring people, he respects family, live long and prosper. I don't trust him. <laughs> he does seem a little shady. Maybe they're yeah, trying to... Yeah, it's the eyes and the voice. Yeah. But Andorians and Vulcans have a history of animosity towards one another. Mm. And that's a big through line in Star Trek and in the series Enterprise. That's a, a big plot. He arrives in, in this home city of Shakar, one of the biggest cities on Vulcan. Yellow sky and sandy cracked or duned ground, a built-up big circle of sand around a smooth circle inside which are buildings, a huge orb on the horizon. Which was wrong because there is no moon. Oh, right. <laughs> Apparently DC and Gene put on the storyboard thing that came back, no moon. Oh, the animators they, forgot oh, to they put moon in there, look at oh. it. Yeah. A little space shuttle zooms past. We go under an Eiffel Tower looking structure and past another structure which looks splattered with slime. Spock looks to have a hooded floor length robe on with little white boots. Yeah. <laughs> he hears a bunch of stilted jerks. Earther! Barbarian! Emotional Earther! You're a tyrant, Spock! You could never be a true Vulcan! That is not true! My father... Your father brought Shane to Vulcan! He married a human! You haven't even mastered a simple Vulcan neck pinch yet, Earther. My apologies, visitor. I regret you are witness to that unfortunate display of emotion on the part of my son. In the family, all is silence. No more will be said of it. Live long and prosper, Sarika Vulcan. That's rich. Ooh. Spock's emotional because he lashed out, but those bullies were showing plenty of emotion too. Disdain, pride. Oh, yeah, I guess those are emotions. Then Sarek apologizes to Spock for baby Spock. That's, that's chilling, isn't that's it? That's terrible. Sad. Yeah. Yeah, he's not over there helping his kid. He's just letting those guys pick on him and stuff. Yeah. Even though you chose to marry a human, Sarek, so you're very much responsible here. Yep. Take some responsibility. To him through this. Similar scene in the movie with young Spock. The J.J. Abrams movie. The first one. They show baby Spock oh. getting picked on by some Vulcans. By the way, the boys are all wearing black hot pants, a blue sash belt, and little blue boots. Rad. Yeah. A Vulcan is a very warm place, <laughs> so it makes sense they would wear very little clothing. And I would love to put our kids in these exact outfits, <laughs> but uh, they would freeze their asses off because we live in Yorkshire. Uh, Spock meets Sarek, his father, again voiced by Mark Leonard. Spock tells him that he is his cousin Sarek. Sarek says, I am honoured. Zoom in, an eyebrow raise from Sarek. <laughs> I called an eyebrow raise. You did, you did. <laughs> then Sarek talks to little Spock. The time draws near when you will have to decide whether you will follow Vulcan or human philosophy. Vulcan offers much. No war, no crime, order, logic, and control in place of raw emotions and instinct. Once on the path you choose, you cannot turn back. Mm, there's some great writing in this. Yeah. I can see the appeal of choosing Vulcan there, but very difficult to achieve. Sure. Is Spock at a crossroads or does he not really have a choice? He can't choose human, can he? 
Uh, maybe. He does to an extent by joining Starfleet. Well, and, and his mother is human. So mm-hmm. if she, he wanted to be raised with emotions and human-like, I'm sure he could hang out with her and yeah. be in her lifestyle. But of course... It'd be very difficult for him, wouldn't it? They're both difficult choices. Yeah, he kind of has to conform here to have any kind of smooth life. So does he? Well, I think it's interesting in this storyline that maybe traditionally I might want big spock to nurture little spock to just follow his heart or do whatever is true for him but realistically his life's gonna go better if he submits to being as vulcan as he can be Mm -hmm. because he lives there and that's what his dad expects that's what everyone expects yeah wow that's heavy Mm -hmm. kind of sad yeah and sometimes we have to socialize our kids in a way that's not necessarily true to their hearts but will make them more likable oh (laughs) or more successful in society most kids are probably true to their hearts uh, selfish jerks <laughs> i'm serious <laughs> well yeah and so there's a point where you've got to teach them that's not the way to be mm. and so you are molding them into people that can fit and work within society and sometimes there are things in society that are very unjust that you want to say you shouldn't have to prescribe to it however if you're going to go against it it's going to be a hard road mm. and i'll help you yeah, but so just get ready. Get ready for it. Like, instead of wearing school uniform, you want a body paint uniform onto yourself. It's not strictly against the rules, <laughs> but it's not going to go down well. <laughs> and it's going to take a lot of time. And you're going to be cold. <laughs> and you're going to be cold. <laughs> then Amanda stands there all statuesque in a floor-length mermaid tail dress. I hope you weren't disturbed by my son's behavior. Gosh, even her? Yeah, What's gosh. her life like? She married a Vulcan. A demanding life, she says. And Big Spock's lines are really poignant again here, that fathers demand perfection from their sons, that Spock will have a harder road than most and much to learn. You seem to understand him better than my husband, she says. Mm. (laughs) So for this maturity ritual, Spock will have to survive for 10 days alone without food, water or protection. Yowzers. To fail will be to be called a coward all his life. Sarek says you will not disappoint me if your heart and spirit are Vulcan. Pressure. Mm danger yeah but mark does a really good job of making sarek softer than the lines even sound he's a good voice actor yeah he is in his log spock talks about an ancient rite of warrior days when vulcans turn to logic they reason they must maintain the tests of courage and strength to keep pure logic from making them weak and helpless Mm, let's talk about that they're peaceful but they don't want to become like those plato stepchildren or be able to be conquered i guess So the Vulcan Jesus, Surak, wouldn't have used his strength even for self-defense, would he? And I guess that's kind of the ideal and then the practical application. For example, Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And that's Mark 10, 21. Also, he says that any one of you who does not give up everything he owns cannot be my disciple. And that's Luke 14, 33. Is he just saying that about his best friend's gang? Or is he saying no. it about everyone who, who wants to be a Christian? Well, Because then everyone's like giving stuff to each other all the time, aren't right. they? Right. And <laughs> guess what? There's no poor people. <laughs> to Surik here, you know, he had this ideal, whether or not it was practical for a whole civilization to attain this ideal. Well, if they conquer us all and we all die, yeah, then, there's no more Vulcans to be awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I know what you mean. So young Spock. Now in a long robe. Sneaks out and he goes on his Kazwan early. His pet Salat, Aichaya, follows him. Now, this is the big teddy bear with six-inch fangs that was brought up in the episode Journey to Babel. Hmm. And DC modeled his personality on her cat, Bobby McGee. 
by which she meant it was disobedient and would do whatever it wanted. But it is a good-natured kind of sweet, big old family dog and cuddly. Old Spock remembers that he went out before his actual ordeal and he goes after baby Spock because he's like, oh, wait a minute, I went early because my dad and this thing with the kids. I got to prove it to myself. Is it to decide to be Vulcan or find out whether he could be Vulcan? I'm not sure what the difference is. Well, either decide whether to go down one path or another or find out whether he's capable of being Vulcan. He was going to find out both, but I think he was trying to impress his father. Just then, baby Spock and Achaya are attacked by a dragon cat thing called a Lamatia. Green fanged, saber toothed tiger looking thing with yellow markings. I, Chaya, and the creature fight. Action! Yeah, it's pretty intense. Then Old Spock shows up. He jumps on the Lamatia's back and he gives it a nerve pinch. <laughs> yeah. Blam! Yeah, he's riding that thing, pinching it. It's That's awesome. That's good. That's got to be tough to animate. Oh, yeah. That's got to be a lot harder than just mouths, isn't it? That's their budget went into that right yeah. there, probably for the whole season. Little Spock says thank you, something his mother insists on. That's not very Vulcan, is it? No, I guess not. He asks if he'll ever be able to pinch as well as Big Spock. And Big Spock says, I should say you will. As he looks to camera <laughs> and almost winks. I had to see if I could do it. A personal test. I cannot fail. That is your father's wish? Yes, and my mother's. They, they confuse me. Father wants me to do things his way, and mother says I should. But then she goes... She is a human woman with strong emotion and sensitivities. She embarrasses you with those traits. And you are afraid when you see them in yourself. How did you know? There is some human blood in my family line. It is not fatal. What you do not yet understand, Spock, is that Vulcans do not lack emotion. It is only that ours is controlled. Logic offers a serenity humans seldom experience in full. We have emotions, but we deal with them and do not let them control us. Wow, so many good lines in this. Yeah. I can't believe how heavy this episode is. Yeah. This is a kid show and it's 22 minutes long and it touches on so many big things yeah. in such a small amount of time. Being a parent, being a child, being from another culture, yeah. honor, duty, yeah. danger. Yeah, well, we'll go into it in concepts. And more. <laughs> Unfortunately, Achaya has been hit with a poison claw and is dying. Old Spock is weirded out by this because this isn't how he remembered things. Young Spock decides to brave the desert on his own and leave Spock there with Achaya, mm. Old Spock, so he can go get a healer. Spock uses his mind meld to ease Achaya's pain while they wait for baby Spock to return. Some purple bitey vines briefly try and attack baby Spock. And it was brief because of NBC censorship, apparently. Mm. Too much danger, maybe? maybe? I don't know. We had a fight with a saber-toothed tiger kind of guy. But the kid wasn't fighting it. Mm. So maybe it was the kid that was in danger. That was too much. True. The healer's a bald guy with a pointy white beard, long, bright green robes. He's heard baby Spock's a practical joker. Spock says, I did that once two years ago. <laughs> I love that detail. <laughs> two years ago. Come on, get over it. Yeah. The healer's never heard little Spock's a liar, however, so he agrees to come in his little pink shuttle. Yeah, it's pretty hot looking. The healer gets there, but Aichaya is too far gone. The, the healer says he can save his life, but he will be in pain for the rest of his days. Or he can euthanize him to be more humane or Vulcane. So not only does little Spock get the motivation to make an efficient desert crossing by the illness of Aichaya, but he's supported by Big Spock, who won't do that for him, and instead gives little Spock some advice on dealing with Aichaya's death in a Vulcan way. 
Lil Spock also has to decide whether to euthanize his pet or not, to release him or not. Holy cow! Wow! It doesn't get any more heavy. Animated Trek, I underestimated you. At this point, Baby Spock chooses to euthanize Achaya. After that, Baby Spock is returned to his parents and explains that his ordeal has given him focus. There was a decision to be made. A direction for my life had to be chosen. I chose Vulcan. It is good, then. You have comported yourself with honor. We will see Aichaya is brought home from the mountains. Thank you, Father. If you will excuse me now, I have some business to conduct with schoolmates. Business? A demonstration of the Vulcan neck pinch. Our cousin taught me. <laughs> Whoa. In spite of the ridiculous voice work for young Spock, which kind of endears him to me, actually. Yeah, yeah. I love that he's off to conduct some business with schoolmates, kicking their ass with a nerve pinch. <laughs> Take that, you bullies. <laughs> Try to understand your son, Serik, says Big Spock. A strange request, but I will honour it. Lovely. But does he? Well, it's a new timeline. Mm. We don't know. Hmm. So Spock returns to the present and everyone remembers him. So job done. Kirk asks if there were any changes and he says his pet died. And Kirk says, well, that wouldn't mean much in the course of time. And Spock says, it might to some. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of kids watching that that felt understood there. Sure. You bet. But wait a minute. If this is a new timeline where Sarek does consider understanding his son better, that would change a lot, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> but it wouldn't change Spock. It would change Sarek. Because remember, it's a new timeline with a different Spock. It wouldn't change our Spock. It brings up that same question. Because this Spock that we're talking to, Achaya didn't die until he was an adult. Mm. So now he's in a universe where Achaya died when he was a kid. It's crazy. Well, anyway, <laughs> they beam up to the Enterprise and we get this button at the end. Well, well, well. So you two finally got back from your vacation. Well, you've been running all of Orion's creation. I've been running the annual crew physicals. You're the last ones. Welcome aboard, Mr. Spock. Well, never mind the chit-chat. I've got my medical scanners all set up for a Vulcan. I have to recalibrate every time I run a physical on you, Spock. Dr. McCoy, you do not know your good fortune. If the times were different, you would have to recalibrate for an Andorian. Well, what's that supposed to mean? If that was supposed to be a joke, Spock, I have to remind you, Vulcans don't tell jokes. Times change, Doctor. Times change. I've worked out what's wrong with animated McCoy. Okay. He's like an emotional vampire. <laughs> what do you mean? It's just the tone of voice plus the content. He's just such a drag. Oh, yeah. It's a bit of a downer Debbie here. No mention of what happened to the Andorian. DC said there wasn't time to wrap that bit up. <laughs> They crammed wasn't. so <laughs> yeah. much in this episode. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, let's get into concept. This was the only episode allowed into the canon. Ah, yes. Dorothy Fontana originally wanted the episode to be a touchback to the original series. Spock was her favourite of the main characters and the focus of her favourite episodes from the one she'd written, Journey to Babel and This Side of Paradise. Mm -hmm. That's from Star Trek, where no one has gone before. She wanted to see some of the trouble between Spock and Sarek early on, Amanda's influence and what made Spock Spock which was apparently being taught and advised by himself. <laughs> <laughs> Making an emotionally distant dad with high standards proud is a common trope, isn't it? And our instinct might be to want the child to rebel, like I mentioned earlier, and find their own path and be accepted for it mm -hmm. by their dad. Yeah. Here, Spock decided to coach himself to be more Vulcan so that he could meet Sarek and society's rules. Yeah. And he gave a little nod to trying to change Sarek, but mostly 
it was the focus on Spock having to become what Sarek needed him to be. Right. Yeah. Also, I want to talk about a pet dying in the episode. It seemed pretty dark. But not in the way that it was bleak last week. DC said, I felt strongly about dealing with the death of a pet. It was a very serious thing for kids. We were trying to put across a lesson to children that when it comes time for an animal to die, if he must go, it should be with dignity. That's from Captain's Logs, the unauthorised complete trek voyages. NBC wanted the euthanasia ending change, but DC dug her heels in and Jean supported her. Apparently, Filmation had complete creative control, and if Jean approved something, it happened. Mm. It was sensitively handled, I thought, Mm -hmm. and they never got a single letter of complaint. Spock also told little Spock that life is only to be mourned if it has been wasted, Mm. and Aichaya's was not wasted. Yeah. Hmm. We had the concept of the Vulcan maturity ritual, which seems real harsh. It does, but they're tough <laughs> bastards, those Vulcans. Yeah, they gave a reason for it. As well as being peaceful, they need to be super tough and brave. Yeah. Seven years old? Yeah, that's our son's age. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness, that really just hit home. <laughs> oh, good grief. I mean, he gets himself dressed in the morning, remembers his glasses and hearing aids as of yesterday, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> he can't even barely make a sandwich, can he? Well, that's because he doesn't have to. Uh, yes, yeah. good. We had time travel, very complex concept. DC said she used the Guardian in part because it allowed her to avoid exposition about time travel and allowed her to focus on the Spock childhood story. There you go. So I'm going for a 7 out of 10. Only 7? I know, maybe more. I'm giving it a 9. I, almost a 10 out of 10. I'm not Ooh. I'm not sure how it could have better concepts than the stuff that it tackles in here. Maybe I've just given lower because I didn't really understand the time travel aspect of it and there wasn't time to explain it. There you go. That's why I give it a 9 instead of a 10. I think yeah. the time travel stuff was overly complicated and it didn't need to be. But it's freaking rad. The whole episode is, is amazing and the yeah. concepts in there. I'm going to bump it up to an 8 out of 10. Okay. Entertainment. The series received a nomination during the first annual Emmy Awards for Daytime Programming, Outstanding Entertainment Children's Series. Oh, wow. Based on the submission of this episode. Yeah. Let's talk about the animation itself in this one. Mm -hmm. DC said, I was mindful of Gene Roddenberry's rule that writers must take advantage of the enormous range animation gave us in terms of sets and aliens. Animation would allow us to show the planet Vulcan in any way I saw fit. Although it had been established in a mock time that most of the planet was desert, I wanted to depict other aspects of Vulcan. Mm. That's from Babel number five, Enterprise Incidents. How effective was it for you? I have to say that one of the things I'm totally digging about the animated series Mm. is the cool aliens, the crazy, amazing sets and locations. We had a lot more of that in this one than last week. It was just that ship last week, really. Yeah. Like they had that historian guy. They made him this awesome looking bird dude. They never would have done that on the old series. Yeah. I love it. I think it's great. Mm. Of course, you do lose the expression and the subtle nuance of the actors. It seemed they put more time and money into the facial expression in this episode, certainly for Spock and Sarek and Lil Spock. Yeah. I love the way they draw the hands when they're doing the Vulcan salute. Yeah. And the costumes were cool. It's nice to see some of those. Amanda doesn't do much. Young Spock was voiced by nine-year-old Billy Simpson. He said he went for an audition and was given a script and recorded with director Hal Sutherland in the booth. Explained Simpson. He rolled tape as I recorded all of the isolated lines marked Young Spock, and that was it. The only coaching he gave me was to read the lines in a rather stilted way as Mr. Spock would. I recalled being rather uncomfortable at that direction, having difficulty distinguishing stilted Spock-like interpretations from just plain bad acting. Since I wasn't hearing too many of my cue lines, it was difficult to respond naturally. Star Trek magazine. And although he thought it was an audition... 
they just used it in the episode. That's terrible. <laughs> really phoning it in, Hal. And it was quite comically bad. But as I said before, I did find it endearing. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> so I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. I think for animated series, this is likely to be a 10 out of 10. But I want to include my memories of some of the TOS episode that i laughed at that i got excited sure, about sure. songs dances etc so i'm going seven well i really enjoyed it i'm gonna give it an eight there's so many awesome things that i couldn't get over and the fact that it was crammed into 22 or 23 minutes is just outstanding like yeah. the writing involved to keep it so tight and the performance it was just off the hook yeah and i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten yeah okay. yeah sexiness tiny glimmer of spurk only kirk remembers spock mm -hmm. amanda posing Two out of five. Yeah, it's pretty run-of-the-mill. Two out of five as well. So your guesses? Well, it was great. Yeah. Someone didn't go back in time to kill Spock so they could have his job. But the Andorian did look sneaky. He did. The Teddy did defend him. Mm -hmm. I was wrong. Sarek and Amanda did see Big Spock in the guise of a cousin. Mm -hmm. Amanda didn't have much interaction with him. Sarek and Spock did have their annual eyebrow raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Kirk and McCoy were not there helping, although they kind of been on the mission. And McCoy did not gain a new appreciation of what makes Spock's butt. Nope. Well, our next episode is called One of Our Planets is Missing. Oh, oh whose planet? What's going to happen? I don't know. I haven't, I don't remember this one at all. So Where's it's it going to be interesting to see who stole a planet or maybe it was just misplaced. Well, I lied last week about the theme tune. It is way different. So let's have it play us out now. Okay. And with that, I'm Rachel Lackey. And I'm Chris Lackey. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. And this has been Rachel Watches Star Trek. Rachel watches Star Trek.